Well, good morning on this Memorial Day weekend. You know, it was seven years ago today that I embarked on the uh, USS Bunker Hill uh, guided missile cruiser in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, um, in what's called a Tiger Cruise. My um, second son was coming back from eight months of deployment in a combat zone, and uh, they have this program that when, um, um, when they come into Hawaii that uh, parents and siblings of those who've been uh, deployed can uh, actually embark on the, the ship and then come for um, um, about six days from Honolulu to San Diego. Um, and I remember how grateful I was that, that he was uh, coming home safe after being deployed for eight months. And Memorial Day is that day that we remember those who didn't make it home. Um, and so I hope you take time this weekend to enjoy the long holiday, but to also reflect on that. And, and I think one of the best ways that we can honor the sacrifice for our freedom that we have is to steward our freedom well for the good of others, um, to bring blessing and to bring love and to bring um, the good news of Christ to others. About 25 years ago, I was standing in line at In-N-Out Burger, and I noticed a guy ordering in front of me um, looked a little familiar, and then it dawned on me that it was Mark McGuire, the um, home run hitting first baseman. Um, it was around 1997. It was the year that McGuire had been traded from the Oakland A's to the um, St. Louis Cardinals. Um, it was the year before McGuire shattered the single-season home run record by hitting 70 home runs in a single season. And I'll never forget what I said to him as we were standing in line. I said, hey. <laughs> You know, honestly, I've lived my entire life in Southern California, and it's the only time I can remember seeing someone famous when I was out in public. And it's not because I haven't been around people, but it's because I'm usually so, have so many things going on inside of my, my head that I'm barely aware of my surroundings most of the time. Um, my, my kids, when they were students at APU, used to tease me about the fact I'd walk right by them on campus and not even notice that they were there because of all the things I was thinking about. Um, but, you know, sometimes when someone meets a celebrity or someone famous, there's a disconnect between um, what they think they know about that person from afar and what they're really like. In fact, there's a whole genre of uh, stories online about people who had terrible experiences when they met their favorite celebrity. Um, because it's one thing to think you know things about a person, it's another thing to actually know a person. Well, since Easter, we've been in a series that we've called Common Questions About Jesus. And um, God is not afraid of our questions, our honest questions, and the church shouldn't be afraid of them either. Um, and so in this series, we've been trying to address some of the most common questions that people today have about Jesus. And so far, we've given answers to five questions. Um, I looked at the question, did Jesus even really exist? There are uh, occasionally people who claim that the, the Jesus that Christians believe in never really existed in the first place. And so I shared uh, three first-century Roman sources and one first-century Jewish source, all from outside the Bible that established the historicity of Jesus, that these four historical sources uh, reinforce the kind of timeline we find about Jesus in the Bible. And so next time you meet someone that says, Jesus never really existed, I would encourage you to go to our, our Glenkirk Church YouTube channel to find that message and to share it with them and to have a conversation about those sources. 
We also had philosopher and author Ken Samples look at the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And Ken helped us see that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is compelling. And again, next time you encounter someone who, who has questions about the resurrection of Jesus, I encourage you to, to share the video of that message with them. On Mother's Day, Caitlin Shan, our, our director of women's ministry, looked at the question, what was Jesus' family like? Then a couple of weeks ago, I looked at the question, was Jesus the Messiah? And we looked at the, the qualifications from Judaism for the Messiah and how Jesus lined up. And we also looked at how Jesus compares to other people from the first century to the 21st century who've made claims about being the Messiah. And then last Sunday, we looked at the question, was Jesus God? And, and we saw that the Christian belief that Jesus was fully God in addition to being fully human actually goes back to claims that Jesus made about himself. And there are some religious groups out there that say they believe in Jesus but deny the Bible's teaching that Jesus is fully God. And again, if you have friends in your life, um, I encourage you to share that, that video from that message with them. But today we come to our final question in this series. Can we know Jesus? Can we know Jesus? If Jesus rose from the dead, He is alive. And if Jesus is truly, fully God, then Jesus can be known. And so the question is really, how can we know Jesus? How? And today we're going to look at four ways that we can know Jesus today. And, and all four of these are important. This is not a select one of the four kind of message. It's a select all kind of message today. Because all four of these ways to know Jesus have something in common that we'll talk about at the very end. So let's embark. Four ways that we can know Jesus today. Here's the first way. We know Jesus through the Bible. We know Jesus through the Bible. And again, I'm not talking about learning facts about Jesus, although the Bible contains a lot of facts about Jesus. I'm talking about actually knowing Jesus personally in the context of a relationship. We can know Jesus personally through the Bible. There's an ancient, or there's an incident in the book of Luke that, that shows us this. Um, after Jesus rose from the dead, um, Luke chapter 24 tells us that two of Jesus' disciples were walking down a road towards a village called Emmaus, a, a village about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And these two disciples were deeply troubled by the death of Jesus. They hadn't yet seen or heard of the resurrection and, and Luke tells us that as they're walking down this road, suddenly Jesus himself is among them, walking with them. But the Bible says that they didn't recognize Jesus because their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And as they walk together with this stranger, this stranger who was really Jesus, Luke chapter 24 verse 39 says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus explained the meaning of the scriptures, the meaning of the Bible to them. What an amazing Bible study that must have been as they walked down this road. When they finally arrive at their destination in Emmaus, they invite Jesus to stay for a meal. And as Jesus lifts his hands to bless the meal, 
And they see his hands. They finally recognize Jesus, perhaps because they see the the marks on his hands from the crucifixion, and they suddenly realize it's Jesus. And then later in the chapter, in verse 32, says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, they experienced the presence of Jesus without even realizing it through the Scriptures, through the Bible. Now, people read the Bible for a lot of different ways. When I was an atheist in high school, um, I read the Bible a couple of times to try to disprove it. In community college, I took uh, an English class where we read the Bible as literature. After I became a Christian during my second semester of college, I I approached the Bible as a learner because I didn't know a lot about the Bible, and so I approached it to learn. Sometimes I read the Bible to prove a point. I combed through the pages of the Bible looking for verses that reinforced um, an opinion that I already had, an opinion about theology or an opinion about politics. We probably don't get to know Jesus very well reading the Bible in any of those ways. If we want to know Jesus through the Bible, we have to approach the Bible in a particular way. Instead of trying to master the Bible the way a student masters their textbook in a class, we invite the Bible to master us. Instead of putting ourselves above the Bible and looking down on it, we humble ourselves and place ourselves underneath the Bible and its message coming to the Bible in a posture of humility, prayer, openness, and a desire to know Jesus. And we will get to know Jesus through the Bible. Centuries ago, there was a a, a guy from Africa who discovered this. His name was Augustine. Um, Augustine's mother, Monica, raised Augustine in the Christian faith, but as happens sometimes um, um, to some Christian parents, Augustine walked away from the faith that she raised him with when he became a young adult. In fact, Augustine joined a cult and began living uh, an immoral, promiscuous life, much to his mother, Monica's heartbreak. But in his 30s, Augustine started his journey back towards his faith of his childhood. And and one time in his 30s, he was sitting in a garden, and he suddenly, suddenly heard a child's voice that said, take up and read. Take up and read. And so he happened to have a copy of the Bible with him, and he opened it up. And in the words that he read in the book of Romans, he encountered Jesus, and Augustine's life was never the same again. We know Jesus through the Bible. We also know Jesus through the church. We know him through the church. If you don't know a person, then hang out with people who do know that person. And you'll get to know that person. And if the Christian church is supposed to be anything, it's supposed to be a community of people who know Jesus together. A community who know Jesus together. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul often calls the church the body of Christ. 21 different times in his writings, he uses a phrase like that. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Every Christian is part of this community of the baptized, this this living organism 
That's the body of Christ. The Christian church around the world today comprises Christ's body on earth today. And if we want to get to know Jesus, we can get to know him by spending time with his people, with his body, with his community. Now, a lot of people in our culture today don't do this much. Um, uh, Just this last year in the United States, less than 50% of people in the U.S. go to church regularly. And that's actually the lowest that national um, attendance average has been since they started keeping records of church attendance back in the 1940s, below 50%. And since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic two years ago, one in three people who regularly attended church prior to the pandemic haven't come back, one in three Nearly every pastor I know um, says that their church attendance is down to about half of what it was pre-pandemic. I have one pastor friend who um, he and his, his leaders closed their church last Sunday because of that drop in attendance. I, I just read this last week that Willow Creek Church, one of the largest churches in the country, their attendance is down 50% of what it was pre-pandemic. Now, there are probably a lot of reasons for this. Some are, are participating online, and, and I am grateful for our ability to do that and for technology, and there are very legitimate reasons why people are engaging online instead of in person. But as a long-term substitute for actually being with God's people, it just isn't the same. Some people just got out of the habit And filled that time with other things. Some people stopped going to church because they didn't like how their church leaders were um, navigating the challenges of the pandemic. And I think a lot of people just got disillusioned with their faith over the last few years. There are probably other reasons as well. And yet the Bible consistently teaches that one of the essential ways we know Jesus is through his body, through his church. Not just by listening to a sermon podcast in the car or, or a, a worship music Spotify playlist while we work out, but actually being with God's people, His imperfect, flawed people led by His imperfect and flawed and ordinary leaders. We know Jesus more together than we will know Him alone because the church is the body of Christ. And when we intentionally isolate ourselves from his body, we find ourselves knowing him less and less. Now, related to this second way, let me give you a third way we know Jesus. We know Jesus through the sacraments. We know Jesus through the sacraments. A, A sacrament is a particular practice that Jesus commanded his church to observe as a way of remembering his sacrifice, experiencing his presence in the present, and being nourished by him. And Jesus gave us two. He gave us baptism and he gave us the Lord's Supper. And and like the sacraments of circumcision and Passover before Jesus came, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs and seals of God's promises and God's presence. And we get to know Jesus more and more as we participate in the sacraments that Jesus gave us. Consider the Lord's Supper. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? 
And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Notice that word used twice, participation. The, the King James translation translates it communion, which is why we sometimes call the Lord's Supper communion. The Greek word there for participation or communion is koinonia. It means a close relationship, an intimate connection to another person. When we drink the cup and eat the bread of the Lord's Supper, it's a communion. It's a close and intimate connection with Jesus. We commune with Jesus when we eat and we drink in the Lord's Supper. The same is true of baptism. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In the sacrament of baptism, our lives become so fully and completely intertwined and identified with the life of Jesus that we are described as buried with Jesus in his death and raised with Jesus in his resurrection. Baptism is the sign and the seal that we know Jesus and that our life has forever been joined to him. Now, although a person is only baptized once, Every time we're present for a baptism, we experience the sacrament and participate in the sacrament of baptism. At every baptism, whether it's a baby baptized by their parents or an older person baptized by a profession of their faith, we experience anew and afresh the presence of Jesus through the sacrament of baptism. Jesus gave us the sacraments for us to know him. The Bible gives us God's promises in words. The sacraments give us God's promises in tangible actions, washing with water, eating bread, drinking from the cup. We need the sacraments to know Jesus more. And when we neglect them, we find ourselves knowing him less. One last way that I want to talk about today that we, we know Jesus is we know Jesus through suffering. We know him through suffering. When we go through hard times in life and difficult circumstances, these are ways that we come to know Jesus more intimately. The agonies of life open up our relationship with Jesus more fully. The losses we experience, the tragedies that break our heart like just this last week with yet another school shooting the wounded relationships that we endure. These things draw us closer to Jesus. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. That's what we're talking about here, knowing Jesus, right? To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Later in that chapter, he talks about his own suffering, the things that he loses that connect him with the sufferings of Jesus. Participation in his sufferings. It's that same word, koinonia again. Close, intimate relationship. When we go through suffering in life, we are joined to the sufferings of Jesus. 
And that's a door to know Jesus more deeply. Jesus can be known today. Not just in a theoretical, abstract way that we might know about someone because we read about them online or see a documentary about them, but in a real relationship. Jesus can be known. Known through the Bible. Known through the church. Known through the sacraments He gave us. And known through our suffering. But all four of these ways of knowing Jesus have one thing in common. They all require faith in Jesus. It takes faith to know Jesus through the Bible, through the church, through the sacraments, and through our suffering. Now, faith is not the opposite of reason. Faith does not mean believing in something despite all the evidence to the contrary, as if faith is turning away from reason and taking an irrational leap into the darkness. We've spent the last five weeks looking at evidence and reason to try to answer questions about Jesus. In Christianity, faith is in harmony with reason. It exists side by side with honest questions that look at evidence. The Christian faith in the Bible is a reasonable faith, but faith then takes us beyond where reason and evidence ever could. If you've been at Glenkirk over the last three and a half years, I've been the, the senior pastor here. You've heard me say this before, that there are, are three essential parts to authentic Christian faith. Let me just outline those again. The first part of authentic faith in Jesus is knowledge. You got to know things about Jesus. Facts like Jesus really existed. He was the Messiah. He rose from the dead. He claimed to be God. He died on the cross. The more we know about Jesus, the more we can ask our honest questions about those things and look at the evidence and use our reason to examine the authenticity of those claims about Jesus. Knowledge is the beginning of faith, but it's not the end because building on knowledge comes a, a second part of faith, which is agreement. Agreement builds on knowledge. Here we come to agree that what we have come to know about Jesus is true. We assent to the truthfulness of what the Bible says about Jesus. Sometimes this agreement is done in front of other people where we make a public profession of our faith. Sometimes we do this by answering questions like, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? We ask that question every time a person becomes a new member, a new covenant partner here, and they publicly affirm, some for the very first time, some who are reaffirming that faith. But finally, there's a third part of faith that a lot of people stop short of. Knowledge, agreement, and then the third part is trust. Building on that knowledge and that agreement, we make a decision to actually trust our lives to Jesus. To trust that He didn't just die for the sins of the world, but He died for my sins. To trust Him to lead and to guide my life. To trust Him to take His rightful place as Lord over all that I do and all that I have and, and all that, that I become someday. 
You know, I, I think about these three elements of faith. You know, years ago, I, I was a police chaplain. I did that for 12 years when I was at my first church. And after I went through the process to become a police chaplain, um, they gave me a uniform. Um, it had my name on it and everything. And, and um, a part of the uniform was a Kevlar vest. And I said, what am I going to need this for? And they said, well, it's part of the uniform. Well, I didn't know much about Kevlar vests, so I did a little research, which means I Googled it. Um, and, um, and I learned that Kevlar is a synthetic uh, compound designed by the DuPont organization, that um, disperses the force of a projectile in order to, um, to limit its damage and that there was a trauma plate also right where my heart was in this Kevlar vest. That's the knowledge part. And as I researched it, I went, wow, these Kevlar vests are pretty good. That really does and really can help stop me from getting hurt if someone were to shoot me. That, that's the agreement part. But the trust part came when I put on the uniform and actually strapped it on and went out into the field as a chaplain, trusting my life to this vest. All three elements, knowledge, agreement, and trust, are essential. And a lot of people who say they're Christians have knowledge, a lot of knowledge, and even have agreement, but they haven't yet moved to trust. In fact, some of the people in the public square who are the loudest about Christian values sometimes seem to show little evidence of personal trust in Jesus in their lives. But we need all three. Otherwise, we'll have what the book of James calls a dead and useless faith. Reading the Bible won't do us much good unless we have this kind of faith, unless we come seeking to know Jesus through the Scriptures. Going to church will be a waste of a Sunday morning if we don't come with authentic faith in Jesus. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are, are no more than tap water and ordinary bread and a cup of juice or a cup of wine unless we have authentic faith in Jesus as we are washed with water, eat the bread, and drink the cup. And our suffering will be meaningless and pointless without authentic faith in Jesus that we are meeting him and his suffering there. We can know Jesus today in answer to our final question in this series, but not without authentic faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the invitation to know Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today in person or out on the patio, who are live streaming this live online or who are watching this video later. For those who've not yet crossed the line of authentic faith. Lord, everyone is at their own stage in that process. Some are just beginning to learn about Jesus, and this is all new to them. Others are, are examining the evidence and coming to assent or agreement. But some, Lord, are stuck at trust. And if you're here this morning, or you're watching this online, and you've not yet trusted your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. 
trusting in Jesus simply means believing in him to the extent of trust and reliance, inviting him to come into your life, to bring God's forgiveness, and to lead and guide you as Lord. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you've not yet done this, but you're ready today, I would invite you in the silence of your own heart and even in your own words to pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I want to know you. I believe that you came into the world as the Messiah to be the mediator between us and the Father. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to conquer death. So I invite you to come into my life right now to bring God's forgiveness, to assume your place as Lord, to lead and guide me in the path and the purpose you have for me. Thank you for coming into my life today. And Father, for the rest of us, may we never forget the blessing and the privilege of knowing Jesus. For we pray these things in his name. Amen.